my name is Amy Rudet, and I'm the Director of Content for ELA for the organization Unbound Ed. And I am here with Diana Letty, co-author of Writing for Understanding, Vice President of the Vermont Writing Collaborative. She has more than 30 years of teaching experience, including one year where she was Vermont State Teacher of the Year, so we're very excited to have her with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about the Read Aloud Project? So the Read Aloud Project is a wonderful project that harnesses the power of collaboration. And what we did as a team, I worked with Student Achievement Partners on this, we thought about and conceptualized what close reading would look like for young children. We knew that it needed to look a little different, needed to be active and developmentally appropriate. And as a team, we came up with some basic foundational ideas. And then for a long time, year and a half, almost two years, um, went around the country to different locations and worked with teams of teachers who brought their most cherished books, the ones that they knew would work wonderfully in the classroom, um, and learned the approach to working with those books in order to create a close read aloud. How is that reading closely different than just reading, especially when the kids can't read themselves? I mean, you're, you're reading the book to them. How is the close read different? So the idea is that students really need to be exposed to the kinds of rich language and rich concepts and complexity that you can find in excellent literature and in nonfiction works, even when they can't yet decode it. And so a read aloud is designed to be able to bring all of that to students even before they can read it themselves. The idea being that the earlier they are exposed to that world of, of words, um, the better. The more vocabulary they'll pick up, the more knowledge they'll pick up, and the better readers they'll eventually become. So in the Read Aloud project, we look at what makes a text complex and rich, and we help students to be able to navigate that complexity um, and to take joy in what they're reading and enjoying. So how is it different from sitting down with a small group of students and reading them a Chris Van Allsburg book or something like that? I mean, how is that, how is the process different? Mostly in its intentionality. So these teachers who construct these read-alouds spend a lot of time with the book that they've chosen, um, noticing, for example, things like double meanings. Does this book have a lesson or a story, to, uh, another story to it? They notice things like structure. How is the book organized and put together? And they notice things like language. Um, is there, for example, figurative language in the book? And they use that deep understanding of the book to guide students through to a very, very deep and rich understanding of that piece of literature or that piece of nonfiction. So you're saying that six-year-olds can have conversations about the structure of a text? It's absolutely amazing what six-year-olds can do. Um, we, we've been really, really surprised when we look at planning purposefully, planning backward from big goals that we have for students, they do things that amaze us. 
So one of the things that we discovered, for example, is that um, six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds um, really benefit from taking notes on what they're reading. And now when you think about taking notes, you think about index cards and, and you know, pens. And, and note-taking at the primary grades isn't like that at all. Um, our kids take notes using pictures. They draw. We use illustrations from text to remember parts of the text. They even sometimes use concrete objects um, to represent ideas in the text. And a teacher can guide them through noticing particular things about the text taking notes on what they're noticing, and then looking back at that to see the bigger picture. And after working with that for a number of years, I'm honestly astonished. As a primary teacher, a lot of what I used to attribute to inability to, for example, deal with an abstract concept, I've discovered is really more a lack of an ability to just hold all this information in memory and work with it. So when teachers put in intentional supports, like taking notes, we find that our young kids can think about things that we previously didn't think they were even able to think about. Um, so it's things like that that make the read aloud different. Thinking about how can you support kids in doing the kind of thinking that we really want them to be able to do. Do you do this process just with one read through? I mean, how does this work? You read through the book once and what next? What then? That's a really, really important question. Um, multiple reads are a really important part of the program. So you need to pick a book that's worth reading multiple times. And generally, we'll have the teacher do a first read, which would look very similar to your general read aloud. I sit down with a group of children around me, and I read the book, and we enjoy it. But then they do a second read and a third read, sometimes of the whole book, sometimes just of parts of the book, where they're really looking deeply at for example, particular language structures. Let's look at this sentence. What does this sentence actually mean? We're working with a poem now called Spider and the Fly, and the last line talks about closing your heart to someone and closing your mind to someone. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that you really close up your heart, that you really close up? Is there a little door on your mind that you can close? Um, you know, little ones can think that if we don't work with them and work with that figurative language to show them that sometimes words don't mean quite what they sound like they mean. What is the most interesting change you have witnessed in the classroom? I mean, you're, you're working in these classrooms as well and you are working with teachers, um, is there an episode or an event that kind of stands out as a, a moment where it all came together or where you were validated uh, or the teacher was validated? A lot of incidents where I learned things. So maybe I'll tell you about one of them. Um, and this is somewhat related to the note-taking. I was working in a first-grade classroom, and I was doing a demonstration lesson. And we had worked with a poem called The Wind, a very complicated poem um, by James Reeves for quite a long time, a few days. We did the rereading that I talked about. We did some of the questioning that I talked about. And the kids worked with what I call concrete notes, manipulative notes, which were actually um, Playmobil pieces from my uh, grown-up children's collections that represented each line of the poem. So, for example, poem said, the wind um, strips the leaves from the great oak tree. And I had a, a, an oak tree with no leaves. And they used those to remember the parts of the poem that they needed to remember. And the big idea of the poem was that sometimes the wind is strong 
and sometimes the wind is gentle. So their final activity with these manipulatives was to sort them. Which of the lines show that the, the wind is strong? Which of the lines show that the wind is, gen is gentle? And they put them on two different trays to show that. And I was very excited. I, I was, couldn't wait for them to sit down and write. Their final product was going to be to write about how the wind is sometimes strong and sometimes gentle, according to this poem. And I said, wow, you've done a wonderful job really working with this poem. I feel like you understand it very, very well. Um, we're going to write a piece now, and for today we're going to write about how the wind is strong. And this particular teacher had her room set up, um, as many of us do, where there was a rug side of the room where we were seated and doing these kind of active activities, sorting and moving and holding things up. And she had desks on the other side of the room where the students were going to write. And I said, and now, you know, I have your paper out on your desk and your pencils, and I want you to go over to the other side of the room and sit down and write about how this poem shows us that the wind is strong. And they, they all got up and trooped over and sat down, picked up their pencils. And within a minute or two, things started to fall apart. And I looked up, and here I am doing a demonstration lesson, and the kids are up, and they're out of their seats, and they're wandering around. And I was mortified. I, I went over to the cooperating teacher, and I said, Andrea, I am so sorry. I don't know what happened. I thought they understood this so well. I thought they were going to sit down and write. Let's just call them over to the rug, and, and we'll read them a story, and then after school we'll figure out you know, where we should go from here. And she said, Diana, take a deep breath calm down, look at what they're doing. And I looked over, and what I noticed was that these, these young students, these, these six-year-olds, were getting up from their desks and going over to the rug where I had left their notes so that they knew what to write. And sure enough, we picked up the notes and we brought them over to where they were sitting, and they all sat down and immediately get, began writing and wrote amazing pieces, um, responses to text, actually, is what they were. Um, but for me, that was a huge aha. They, just taking the notes wasn't enough. They needed notes to be able to write the same way I need notes when I read a complicated text and I need to put it together in writing. Um, you know, they not only made those notes, but they needed to refer to them. And once they could, that allowed them to think in very deep and complex ways. Wow, very cool. Um, so where, what next? Where do we go from here? I think right now our next steps are just spreading. A lot of good materials have been created. They're available online for free. They've been created by teachers and vetted. Um, I think now we're in a stage where we need to make sure that people get the training that they need to be able to use those materials wisely. And teachers experiment with them. When I go around, I go around and work in schools really frequently. Um, and this methodology, this approach is very new to people. And what I usually will say is, I'd like you to just try it once. And, and I, I have to be honest with you, I've never had a teacher who wanted to go back 
because once you do this, you can feel what it does for your students. You can feel the difference that it makes. And people say to me, this is what I thought teaching was going to be like when I went into teaching. These are the kinds of, of light bulbs I thought would go off in my kids' heads. These are kinds of conversations I thought we would be having all the time. Um, and these materials make it happen. And so I think our next step is to get everybody to try it. Um, and then they'll be invested, um, you know, and we can work together to, to, to make it even better. That sounds fabulous. So, Diana, you're working on research packs right now. You've worked on the Read Aloud project, and that's been very successful. Um, how are the research packs different? I mean, what are they, and how did they come about? Yeah. So the research packs are meant to be um, easy-to-use materials that help guide students even young students, um, kindergarten on up, through the process of using text to get information and research, and then in writing up and communicating the expertise that they gain through that text. And the way that they came about was that we, we realized there was a need for this. We, we're seeing more and more. Um, you know, students love to learn from text. They love to read a lot of texts about a single topic and become experts on things. And it's a very, very valuable skill to be able to have. Unfortunately, kids need a lot of support to do that. That kind of researching is an academic skill. You're not born knowing how to pull evidence from text and record it and then you know able to easily communicate it to a other people. And so students, all students, need a lot of support in being able to do that. And what we had worked out, a lot of strategies that we felt worked well with students, but we discovered we couldn't be everywhere. So what we wanted to do was create materials that people could use without very much training. So that's kind of a foundational principle behind the research packs. And what we wound up with are right now a set of science packs that are geared toward the next generation science standards. So they align with those, with the ideas in there. Not at all to replace doing science experiments or any of those wonderful things, but just to augment some of the knowledge that kids will get through those hands-on experiences. And they're what we call student-facing packets. So they're packets that are meant to be easily usable by students. Now, that doesn't mean that they're workbooks that you give to students and step away. Um, the teacher at first guides every step of the process and then gradually releases responsibility to the students. And kids have three different research experiences around a given topic. And the first one is very highly guided by the teacher. The second one, kids work in groups. So most of the support comes from peers, but there's still support there. Kids can support each other. And then the third one is independent, with the idea that by the time they hit the third one, students will they'll have a concept of how you go about doing research, how you go about writing up your research, and they'll be able to be successful independently. We want to make sure all students are, are successful. We don't want to just hope that. And so that's what the PACs are designed to do. They're designed to make sure that students have the knowledge and skills that they need to be able to be successful at that research project. All right. Why research in the early grades? I mean, does this replace the, the play? The Does this replace the traditionally more fun activities in 
early elementary school? I mean, what has to be taken out so that this can be inserted? It's always a question about, you know, what, what do you take out? Hopefully it won't replace any play, and hopefully it will feel very satisfying and, and enjoyable to kids. That's been our experience anyway. Um, that and, and think about it. Think about any young child that you know. Kids love to learn a lot about something. They, you know, you, we all know yes, the kids, do. right? Kid- the grosser the better, too. The <laughs> exactly. grosser the better. Exactly. Um, you know, the kid who just devours dinosaur books or, or with my son, it was animals. It was a, he, you know he blew his his kindergarten screening away mm-hmm. because one of the casual questions you know just designed to test you know general knowledge was name as many animals as you can, <laughs> and and they had a time limit. And she came out and she said I had to stop him. And by the way, what's a dick dick? Is that an animal? I mean it is. It's an African animal. So all of us have experiences like that where you know kids just get so into a topic even when they're really young. Um, and so I think you know rather than being something dry and difficult. For kids, it's really an exciting thing to be able to be an expert at something and, and then to be able to communicate that. And that's how we put it. You are now an expert in this topic. And so we're going to show you how to write down what you found out so that you can share that with other people. Have you seen this demonstrated in school yet? I mean, has this moved into the schools? It has been piloted in schools and it enormously successfully, so successfully that we had planned on a full year um, piloting in lots of places. And the places where we piloted came back and said, no, you need to get this out right now. That's great. <laughs> and so, um, so they actually, we had not anticipated putting things up online until around June. And we just recently, the last couple of weeks, got them up online. Line and they're available for people to use. That is great. It is great. And for what grade span? Right now we have K through 5 and we're currently working on 6 through 12 um, and we want to expand into social studies concepts as well as science concepts. These packs are not in and of themselves a curriculum. They're supplemental to curriculum and so we want to have a wide variety so people can choose what might hook into the curriculum that they're already doing. And the national science standards that they address are not the science standards that would require or demand that hands-on experimentation. So there's not a loss of experimentation for writing. That would be horrifying if that happened. mm -hmm. No, they're specifically designed to be things that, that you need to read. To be able to know, um, you know, so one of the ones that we do in fifth grade, for example, is the contributions that individual scientists have made. The standard has to do with, you know, individual science scientists can help increase our knowledge, and so you really need to read and see what scientists did, and and it's really inspiring and amazing. Um, but we were very careful when we picked the standards that they were standards that were augmented well by reading. Um, If it's a standard that you can better learn with your hands, then you should be doing that. But some of them require a really broad knowledge base, and reading is good for that. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Diana. You're welcome. It was my pleasure, Amy.